Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sophie and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. I'm so pumped for this episode. It was one of my first ideas when we started thinking about a COVID season. Today, we're talking about food and cooking while in quarantine. And I'm joined by podcaster, nutrition counselor, and cook, Eliza Kinzo. But first, it's time for our SAF book club. This week, we're talking about the epilogue of Fearing the Black Body. Here's what our team had to say. From Yelly, our junior producer, she says, The biggest idea or theme that stuck with me throughout the entirety of the book was the way that storytelling and media perpetuated so many racist, fatphobic ideals. From the Renaissance paintings in the first chapter to the news stories in the epilogue, these horrible ideas have been spread in very insidious ways that are still alive and thriving. Something that was particularly shocking to me in the epilogue is how Dr. Strings mentions that, quote, the medical field has been the most recent institution to enter the fray of fat phobia and diet culture. It's extremely difficult for me to imagine a world where doctors and medicine overall isn't completely ingrained in dieting and being your smallest self. There's also definitely a connection between medicine being so fat phobic and black women being more at risk of not being believed or being misdiagnosed in medical settings. As someone who wants to write and tell stories for a living, I have a lot of journaling to do regarding storytelling and the ways that my own storytelling is complicit or upholds anti-black racism and fat phobia and how to dismantle that. That's what I call a reflection, people. <laughs> Thank you for that, Yelly. Um, if you feel like you missed the train on the book club, don't worry. We've got the next few weeks for you to catch up using the book club page on our website, she'sallfatpod.com slash book club. Then for the final episode of our staying in series, we're going to have on a very special guest to talk about the book in full. It's going to be good. We hope you'll join us. You still have time to get the book. Here's another shout out to our Fat Babysitters Club all month long. When you join our Patreon at Team Paisley Moomoo, we're giving you a special shout out. That's what we call a Patreon drive. So this week, we're shouting out Lee Estelando and Leslie for joining the club. Thank you both so much. Now, as you know from NPR, a funding drive means perks, and we're giving you a sneak peek of our big perk this Sunday, August 23rd. Yes, it was originally August 16th, but I'm chronically ill. So anyways, join us on Instagram Live for our new weekly Babysitter's Club. I'm going to be reading those silly but good books, reminiscing on the little snots I used to babysit, and asking y'all about your crushes. Every Sunday after that one, the club will be on a Twitch stream exclusively for our Team Paisley Moo Moo patrons and above. So join our Patreon to get those sweet, sweet weekly links. Okay, I'm wearing my Fat Chef apron merch idea, so it seems like we're ready to eat in. I'm here with Eliza Kinso of the Pantry Party Podcast to talk about nourishing ourselves, aka being our own chef, aka eating in. 
So Eliza, could you please introduce yourself, talk about your work and your connection to fat justice? Yeah. Hi, my name's Eliza. I'm a nutrition counsellor working predominantly, well, with eating disorders and intuitive eating. I, I guess my connection to fatness is through that. We work with a like radically inclusive feminist lens and I identify as fat as well. And so I kind of have, you know, lots of different like connections to it. But yeah, that's kind of who I am. Do you want to give a shout out to your podcast and tell people what they might hear if they listen to it? Yeah, so The Pantry Party is a podcast that I host with my friend Branavy, who's also a dietitian, and we kind of talk, it's been pretty fluid, we've changed up, changed things up quite a bit, but we talk a lot about what it's like being within the health and well-being industry, like the experience of learning and growing and also working in a space that's like not quite the traditional dietetic role. Obviously, being in a larger body in her, we both have sort of different identities that conflict with the normative, in inverted commas, like dietetic personality. And so we kind of sure. just, yeah, talk about like food, life. Most of it ends up just being us like shooting breeze and <laughs> hanging out for most of it. But yeah, it's good fun. And what do you like about being a nutrition counselor? Like what is important to you about it? What's your what's your point of view on the world through being a nutrition counselor? Um I learn so much through my clients. Like I think because I'm quite new to this, like I only graduated uni a couple of years ago and this is my first like real big girl job. <laughs> and so I I think everyone kind of goes through this phase in early adulthood where you're like, I know everything. I'm like the ruler of my universe. <laughs> and you kind of take a lot for granted. And I very quickly learned that that's not the case. And I think what I really like about nutrition counseling is that it's such a specific area of the human experience that everyone has to experience food in some way. And so you get exposed to a lot of different perspectives and things that kind of intersect with food being the medium. And so what I really like about it is hearing people's stories and the, the meaning that food has to them and the way that they actually like relate and see value in this space. So yeah, it's really great. I love that. And how does being fat change your relationship with doing nutrition stuff or with your clients? Oh my gosh, so much. I've <laughs> spoken a little bit about this on my podcast and I guess the, the TLDR of it is, is that like being in a larger body is a very unique experience and especially in terms of yeah. the messaging we get around nutrition and around health. And so when people are coming to us in a larger body, I think it's really, I feel really privileged to be able to provide that safe space and that shared experience for other people and for them to know that like, I'm not, I'm instantly, I'm not going to be judging them. I'm not going to be telling them to go on a diet or lose weight or whatever. And I guess that was something that I was very aware of throughout my studies. Like I always felt like the biggest person in the room, which is ridiculous because I'm like small fat at most. And I guess it gives you a unique perspective in that industry. I'm really grateful that I've got that because it's like something that we need more of. We need more people bringing in their own unique and diverse experiences. Do you have... A recommendation for people who are fat or in larger bodies who want to find some nutrition help, but like find mostly people who are diety, you know? It's really tough. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think before I kind of got into this space, I 
I wouldn't know where to go. Like I like personally, I would have not known where to start with nutrition information. And I think the really sad thing is, is that fat people especially are to- like they're not told that this is an option for them. They're not told that they can just exist yeah. at their size and they can just eat intuitively and eat what they like. And so I guess if you're looking for specific nutrition advice around like a health condition, definitely start with the ASDA, the ASDAH, like Hayes um, directory, because most people are listed there. Or I like most of my networking I do through Instagram and that's a really good place yeah, to same. like find different people. There are a few accounts that kind of they will kind of share and and talk about different people in the industry. And so hopefully you can find someone locally. There's lots of Facebook groups and things as well. But generally, like, reach out to another clinician and they'll know someone who knows someone. And, yeah, but it's it's really tough, especially with how intuitive eating and health at every size are kind of, like, trendy at the moment. So that you get a lot of, like, oh thin, white, you know, able-bodied, very financially wealthy dietitians kind of like preaching this as like a business thing and as a marketing thing when that kind of completely misses the point of what we're trying to do. So it can be really difficult to find people who get it. Well, I let this episode serve as a proof that there's people out there and people can go in the show notes and check out the resources you just mentioned if they're looking for some support around this. Okay. Let's move into the meat of it. The meat of it. I really wanted to do this episode for a long time because listeners of the podcast know that I hate cooking. I'm really bad at it. And that first comes from neither of my parents being good cooks. (laughs) They're both terrible at cooking and also... I dieted a lot growing up, as a lot of fat people did, and so any, like, all the food information in my head is mostly nutritional information Mm -hmm. that I would have used to diet, and I never developed a exploratory relationship in the kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just was always, like, you know, like, what can I, what can I Mm -hmm. eat? And in my 20s, I've also had a lot of chronic health conditions, including like IBS and a lot of GI stuff. So then it became what can I eat in a different way? So I've like always had trouble with this. And in quarantine, I feel like it's been much worse to because like all of a sudden there's way more restrictions on everything and like going to the grocery store, which was already super hard for me because it had a lot of anxiety around it. All, like I can't haven't gone to the grocery store. Thankfully, my boyfriend does for us. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've been in quarantine for a while, but I'm still struggling with food stuff. So I was hoping that this episode could be helpful for people to get some just like loving and joyful ideas for how they can do cooking and recipe finding. And like, I've been seeing a lot of posts right now from people who, even if they don't have that many issues with food, they're like, I'm so bored of being inside mm-hmm. and cooking, and like, I'm tired of this right now. So I just think quarantine has made food difficult. Food's already difficult for me. So I want to see if we can get some ideas out there. So let's start with this. What is your staple like grocery store run or like staple meal normally? And has that changed during quarantine at all? See, okay, so this is, this is a loaded question. It's really <laughs> difficult to say because I'm a huge foodie. I think I was lucky to have kind of the opposite experience to you, Sophie, where, like, my parents weren't super diety. I 
grew up with a very like the way that I tend to describe it is having a culinary and pleasure based focus on food rather than a functional nutrition based focus and then as I came through teenagerhood that sort of changed into the more diety lens and I got into nutrition and studied and blah 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 and so when I'm cooking I kind of have this whole like knowledge of what I want to be eating and how I want to be eating and I I've done a lot of work to be an intuitive eater and so I guess it varies a lot. I generally gravitate towards carbs, towards comforting foods, especially within this like weird uncertain time that we're in, you know, eating things that are starchy and sweet and really filling make you feel physically safe and comfortable. And so I guess, yeah, lots of pasta. I make lots of like noodles, which I generally like will share on like my Instagram stories <laughs> and but I guess the one thing that is like constant for me is bread and making like I do yeah. I make sourdough bread I think making bread is a very like cathartic process for me it's like meditation like it's very like involved with your hands and like yeah it's just really comforting in so many different ways and I think that's something that I always come back to yeah I haven't had anything staple except for like I always make a lot of – for lunch, I like to eat, like, kind of a, like, Mediterranean snack board. I'm a very snacky I person. Love that. So – because that's also a very easy way if you're bad at cooking. So, like, I make a lot of, like, salad bowls or rice bowls that are literally just the salad or the rice. And then it's – then I'm like, a pickle, some chicken. Yeah. <laughs> some hummus. Like, something there. that yeah. – <laughs> Just because it's, like, stuff somebody else has already made that I can kind of mush together. That's my staple is like a Mediterranean rice bowl usually or like a cheese board. Sometimes I'll have like cheese and crackers and like anything, anything snacky. I'll just give my boyfriend a list of like, get these chips for me, get these snacks for me because that's what I like to eat for lunch. And then he cooks dinner for us a lot of the time. Okay, this leads into my next question, which is, so I told you like I don't like cooking or mm-hmm. I haven't yet found my love for cooking. I have like gotten a little bit more into it as I've grown in skills actually like the more that I am capable of doing something the more that I'm like okay I like this I can Mm -hmm. do this but I the way that I have loved food is like I love going out to eat my mom and I love going to restaurants together and exploring that way and so that's that has been hard for me in quarantine because obviously I'm not going to any restaurants and so that that was like a big part for me of my like some of my recovery stuff was like allowing myself to order whatever I wanted at a restaurant or telling myself that I could come back and order whatever I wanted again I didn't have to stress about between Mm -hmm. two choices that I wanted like there's no like there's no uh lack of opportunity for me to have good food except in pandemic it doesn't always feel that way because I can't go out to restaurants yeah and I'm not a good cook so I've been working on like what can I make for myself that's fairly easy, that will taste good, that will feel like a treat for myself, um, and that will not not necessarily even has to be like quote unquote nutri- nutritious mm-hmm. or like anything like that, but just like won't make me hurt, yeah. which is a lot of things right now. So do you have any recommendations for me? For getting more into cooking, cooking for self-love and how I can do it. What would you tell me to oh do? Oh my goodness. This is like one of my favorite topics <laughs> to explore with clients because I think 
people who have had an experience like yours where you've got chronic health conditions that you have to navigate and you've got that many like diet rules in the back of your mind from whatever diets you've been on it's really difficult to detach like I was saying before that the pleasure and the fun of food from the like this is how many points this is or this is what it's going to do to my body yeah and the, like the moralization of it and so it can be really difficult to detach that and so the thing that I always recommend people to start with is finding something that gets you excited about the culinary aspect of food like the cooking part and the way that food interacts scientifically and the the like simple pleasures of it so my favorite resource to like that I always send people off to go and watch is Sulfur Acid Heat on Netflix. Um, I loved that. I loved it. Because yeah. it, it kind of talks about food in a way that's like just looking at the chemical components, but then what it actually does for the flavor and the enjoyment of it. And I think that gives you a really good foundational understanding of like how simple things can be really special. And then I guess with that in mind, finding things that you can make yourself that feel fun, that feels like an enjoyable, pleasurable thing. Because I think, like you were saying before, when we're dieting, it's like, what can I eat? What's within this, you know, framework of this diet? Range. And you end up cooking all these really boring, like, chicken, rice, broccoli, like, no seasoning kind of meals. And you kind of get stuck there because you're too afraid to challenge those perceptions that you have about sauces and dressings and adding fats and things. And so... I think finding things that you get excited about cooking so that you're actually excited to eat it and like using that as a jumping off block to experiment with that kind of dish. Say, for example, you really want to try making sushi and it's like, oh, well, cool. Like I've got this rice. I can do that. I can do the like seaweed part. Now let's experiment with fillings and like find whatever really satisfies me. And I guess, yeah, just getting creative with it and being prepared to screw up sometimes because we all do make mistakes with these things it's never going to be perfect you're going to have some really crap dinners and that's okay I've had a lot (laughs) (laughs) but I guess yeah just giving it making it fun like completely taking away the nutritional side of it and not worrying about it because I mean the thing that I always tell clients is that the like nutrition is a lifelong thing it's not it's not going to matter one day one week like if you have no vegetables one day that it, it doesn't matter because Everything balances out over time and it's fine. I think also it's really important not to overcomplicate things and not to kind of, you know, go out and try and do this really elaborate, like, 10-course meal on the first go with cooking and do what's achievable to you and kind of, like, work up from there. Because cooking is, like, it's a skill and it's labour-intensive and it's hard to master a lot of those fundamentals that a lot of people take for granted. And so it's, like, I guess taking it slow and being gentle on yourself throughout that whole process yeah what do you what do you find joy or like excitement in cooking oh my gosh the whole like I think the see this is the dilemma at the moment is that for me cooking is a really good way of connecting with people and sharing food with people and I really value this the social aspect that food brings and the cultural aspect it's that simple pleasure the enjoyment of just exploring this kind of it's it's an art form for some people I really like at the beginning of um like lockdown and quarantine Ruby Tando who's got this book called Eat Up love Ruby Tando she started reposting these tweets that she'd done like on her Instagram and it's all of these like little food moments and it's like 
really simple things like when you pick up a piece of pizza and the cheese is real stringy. Just the, the nice little things that get you excited for those experiences, whatever it might be. So bringing the focus back to those real like sensory tactile parts of food is really nice because I think again like we're taught to think about food in terms of numbers and calories and like what it's going to do in your body but we forget that it's actually like an experience it's a whole like you can see it you can smell it you can taste it and I think those things are really nice to tune back into and kind of like slow down and be able to really enjoy it and get the pleasure out of it I like that The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I was wondering if you have resources for people like me who have chronic illnesses and who want to find recipes that aren't diet related. Because a lot of times if I search for anything related to like my IBS or GERD or like whatever, all the recipes are like Mm – Keto, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I don't really have any ideas of like, like completely safe, a hundred percent diet culture free resources. But I guess one tip that I would say is to leave the name of the condition out of the, out of your search. Like if you know what you can and can't eat, just search for that. And then I think okay. a big part is knowing what you can substitute for other things. And so like, for example, if you're gluten free, Knowing that yeah. you can kind of just like swap out gluten free pasta for wheat pasta and that's going to be fine. But yeah, I guess try and leave the name of your condition out of it because everything that's been written for health conditions has been written right. with health in mind. That is a good idea. I don't yet have the confidence of knowing how to switch stuff out because I've had too many experiences with like overcooking my gluten free pasta and then it's. And it goes all <laughs> like slimy, but also it's just like yeah. falling apart. <laughs> it's the worst. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And so some, I don't have the confidence to do that yet to like look at other recipes and then sub in. But that would be great if I could do mm. that. Okay. I have a question about some of our listeners who I know are parents right yes. now, suck at home. I can't even imagine the difficulties happening right now with parents, but maybe you have some words of wisdom for them, for our our. Hannah's and our H's, our fat or ally listeners who are struggling with cooking at home and maybe some of these like issues around eating. What do you think? Yeah, the, I mean, parenting is challenging enough 
in regular times yeah. but when you add in the pandemic and I mean I'm not sure what the situation is where you are but a lot of people were homeschooling and having to like be feeding kids around the clock yeah I guess I'm very biased in this in the where I work at the London Centre for Intuitive Eating we have a course on raising intuitive eaters so we basically pulled together a bunch of resources to help foster kids to like continue to eat intuitively because we're all born as intuitive eaters the way that we do it is just to try and maintain that and so we use a model called the division of responsibility in feeding which is a term coined by Ellen Satter who's she's written books on it you can google it but basically the idea is that the parent decides what's on offer when like gives the structure in terms of like when where the meals are going to be what they're provided with And then it's the child's responsibility to decide if they eat, how much they eat and what they choose from what's offered. And so that gives a really good sort of framework to have really good family style meals, which actually really facilitates, you know, allowing that kid to have autonomy and practice like autonomy around their body and not feel like they're being pressured into doing things and learn about food in a way that's supportive and not judgmental for them. So we've got a bunch of resources on the London Centre for Intuitive Eating Instagram. And then another, I mean, again, very biased because she's my boss, but Laura Thomas, <laughs> she's just had a baby. And so her, she's made an Instagram page called Bub Appetit, like Bon Appetit. So cute. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. And she's posting a bunch of tips on like early childhood feeding, navigating parenthood stuff, questions that parents have about that stuff. So, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on this, having like this stuff, having not had kids and not really having much of a professional interest in it. But I think that's, yeah, there's, there's heaps of really good resources out there, but it's just finding the ones again that are like inclusive and not going to be telling parents how to, you know, (laughs) the perfect way to feed their children. Oh, yes. I can imagine it's just like way harder right now without like the easy stuff to go to right now. Like there's just a lot more focus on it and pressure. I'm feeling way more pressure about cooking because obviously like we've talked about. So I can't even imagine what it's like when you have like little humans that also have to eat and you have to figure out stuff for them too. Yeah, exactly. Especially because, I mean, like we were saying before, the, the kind of burden of cooking and of preparing food and like you know that's a lot of labor and that's really time intensive and it takes a lot of energy and we're all experiencing this kind of you know global exhaustion with the, with the pandemic and so it's yes. it's a lot of extra work and so I think I mean it's a really good idea to try and share the load a bit like get kids involved in cooking get your partner involved if you you know lucky enough to have another adult to help you and having that kind of yeah, family approach to it rather than feeling like you need to be like in control and doing everything perfectly because it's never going to be achievable if you set yourself too high yeah. expectations. I'm looking for things we can recommend for our family that are like communities of love, love of food and cooking where it's safe to be fat or comfortable to be fat or even just mostly fat people. Like I'm in a Facebook group, I think called Fat Foodies or something. And there's like a spinoff group for that might be the spinoff group for recipes from the She's All Fat group, Facebook group. I have found, you know, a lot of like pleasure in being in groups of just fat people talking about stuff that we like. And it can be really like I've noticed in the Facebook group, in our Facebook group, it can be 
really nice to just talk about what you like to eat in front of other fat people without shame. Yeah. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. And I want to, like, share that with other people. Yeah, yeah, it is really difficult, though, because I think, you know, we as fat people exist within our own little social circle, and we might know, like, just in our kind of immediate circle, we might know, like, one other fat person. And so your social ties are kind of stretched very thin. And then if that person doesn't have similar interests to you, you've kind of, like, lost that and lost yeah. that community. I think, I mean, it's definitely something that I've noticed within my client base and from what I've had, like, conversations with other fat people is that there's a real lack of community and, like, just spaces to bring these things. And that's definitely something that I'm trying to remedy in, like, my work and in, you know, my, like, community that I'm developing on Instagram in that, you know... Yeah. I'm very unreliable with posting on Instagram at the moment. I've had other things on my mind, but it's definitely something that I'm looking to kind of set up and facilitate because it's something that comes up with everyone that I talk to. But yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult. If anyone has any ideas, hit me up and we can like start it. I really want to do like supper clubs and like, you know, like potluck style stuff and just have like, Oh, that'd be so you know, fun. But like, obviously that's difficult to do virtually. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear if there's any, yeah. yeah. Yes, family, please write in if you have suggestions for this and we will make sure to post them because I would really like people to have access to that. I think it's something that – it's an idea that like I never even considered because so many communities – things that felt like communities that I was in with other fat people when we talked about food, it was like Weight Watchers meeting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like there <laughs> – that's why I'm like I would love – and I'm sure I'll I'll put the link in the show notes for our our Patreon group, and I'll try to find the like the recipe group that spun off from it that we don't control. But they're out of control. <laughs> they're fat and they're doing recipes. They're out of control. But I think that would just be nice. That was one of my favorite things before pandemic was going to a restaurant with one of my fat friends and just eating what we wanted mm-hmm. and being like, "Yep, fuck you." Yeah, like reading what we want and we're enjoying food together yeah you know what I mean yeah it's so nice I love the feeling of walking into a like you know unconditional acceptance fat space and it's just like so refreshing and so calming and you can just like exist without the expectation of having to like be the good fatty but yeah I mean I'm I would love to hear if anyone knows of any of those groups or if there's a way that we can like facilitate that and set that up because it's definitely within like the the my goals for what I'd like to be doing but yeah it is so difficult to find those communities what is your favorite recipe that you've done in pandemic quarantine so far yeah my go-to recipe it's difficult because I cook a lot and we're all cooking a lot at the moment and I wanted to have like bring you something that everyone at home listening could cook along with us and make with us, but unfortunately contains gluten. So you might have to (laughs) substitute. You could try with rice flour. You could try, I don't know. Let me know how it goes if you do try it. It's for the family to try. This is not for me to try, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everyone post your photos. Yes, tag me. Tag me and I'll tell you good job. (laughs) Yeah. But one of my favorite, like, go-to things that's really quick, really easy, and you only need a couple of ingredients is, like, paratha, like, Indian flatbread. So you basically get, like, for each individual bread that you want to make, I'd probably use, like 
half a cup of flour, maybe a third of a cup of flour. It doesn't really matter. Just get some flour in a bowl. Add water, probably... It's difficult to say amounts because I kind of like eyeball it, but until it makes like a dough. Okay. And then what you do is it's literally just flour and water and then you roll it out into like a square shape as thin as you can get it, spread it with like butter or whatever vegan vegetarian butter replacement you want to use and then sprinkle on. I usually use like turmeric or garlic or just like herbs or whatever, some kind of flavoring, salt. And then you like roll it up like a scroll. So imagine you were to like, yeah, like a scroll. And then you make that scroll. So it'll now be like a sausage shape. You make that into like a snail shape. So spiral it. And then you squish it down and roll it out again. So that it's like a circular, spirally. There's lots of, basically what you're doing is creating layers within the, within the dough. And then you just fry it in like a little bit of olive oil on a medium high heat in a frying pan. And it's just like the most like, like it gets crispy edges, but it's still doughy in the middle and all the layers kind of like puff up a little bit. And it's like, oh, so good. And so I just do that like whenever I have like curry for dinner. Yes. Because yeah. I cook a lot of curries, but yeah, there is on my Instagram, I do have like a video tutorial of how to do it. It's saved in my highlights, but at the same time, still won't have the amounts in there because I'm an intuitive cook. Like I don't really follow recipes, which is really annoying because I want to share my recipes, but they don't exist. I would love to have that skill. Can I ask you to send me one of your recipes on there that you think I could do and I'll try it for the, the part set two of the episode? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll send you something. Do you have any requests of types of food? Like literally, I will I would try whatever. The things that I cut out completely are just it's just gluten because everything else is like I mean, this is like we're getting personal now. But like when I did my elimination diet for <laughs> when I had IBS like diagnosed, yeah. It was really hard as somebody with an like recovery in recovery for eating disorder to yeah. do the reintegration part. And so I found out that gluten affected my stomach. And then I found out that dairy did, but I didn't want to cut dairy out all the way. And then I was like, okay, I know a bunch of these other things also affect me, but this is re-triggering me. So I can't do this anymore. So I cut yeah. out gluten and I did lower dairy and I do lower amounts of nightshades, but I don't cut them out because that at this point would be too triggering for me. So... Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really unfortunate because a lot of, a lot, like a lot of the clients that I work with have, there's kind of like a, a two way relationship between eating disorders and IBS. Yeah. And so a lot of people will experience both. Really? And a lot of people's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because restriction can basically, like essentially what you're doing is starving your gut, yeah. right? Because there's nothing going through. And so you end up, your gut kind of like, especially with like restrictive eating disorders like anorexia your gut's basically slowing down to try and keep all of the food in there and get as much as it can out of each like individual portion of food that you're getting. And so it can cause all of these like My God. weird gut Do things. Do you know no doctors ever told me that? Ever? I did not know that. No. no. I'll, um, we, with LCIA, we've, we've done a bunch of like weight inclusive guides to the management of a bunch of health conditions. I'll send you the one on IBS so you can have a Thank read. Thank you. Because it's like it's ridiculous the things that people don't tell you. We're going to put links to that site in the show notes because I do think a lot about 
the inaccessibility of a lot of these resources. That's one of the reasons I wanted mm-hmm. to have you on because I was like, I'm sure the stuff I'm dealing with is not it's not unique. It's right? not unique. Yeah, I'm not special. Like there's, you know, the stuff that's happened to me has happened to a lot of people. And I'm sure there's also a lot of people like me who have like had stops and starts and tried to work with someone and then didn't and then sort of did this. I'm always surprised by the overlap between my experience and other fat people's experience because so much of our eating lives before we become body positive maybe or even while we're body Mm -hmm. positive feels secretive and shameful and so even when I don't feel that way anymore about eating I'm still surprised when I meet someone or talk to them about it and they're like oh me too I'm like oh yeah right like this isn't some secret thing that like just I have been doing because I'm the only one with IBS or whatever you know No, definitely. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of my job is seeing my own experience reflected back within my client's experience and being able to have that shared, like, just that that shared understanding of like, what it's like to be in a larger body and to move through this world and to navigate the food environment. Because no one talks about it, because we're told that it's something to be ashamed of and something to be secretive about. But yeah, it's really liberating to have that space to discuss these things. So I mean, I, obviously, if people are interested, they can work one-on-one with myself or another <laughs> member of my team. But, like, it is <laughs> – we've only got so many appointment slots, but I'm always – like, my DMs are always open if people want to have a chat about food. And, like, we just need to be able to have these spaces and have these conversations. Yeah. It's kind of sad that we're not – I mean, it's exciting that we're having this conversation and can <laughs> facilitate this, but it's sad that they don't already exist. Yes, Definitely. I will link in the show notes also like some other podcasts like I love Julie Duffy Dillon's work and podcast and like PCOS stuff and our friend Whitney, friend of the pod who has like transitioned what she's doing but still trains food freedom people to work with with other people. So we'll put some resources in the show notes for people who might be feeling similarly or looking for something. And obviously we're going to link to all the stuff you mentioned, because those sound like really great resources. And it's really nice that you say your DMs are open. Nobody overwhelm her. Don't send too many things. I mean, it's absolutely fine. I'm always up for it. And I think like, it's really difficult because obviously I have the experience of being like a consumer of this stuff as well. Like I'm there like listening to the podcast and seeing people and it's really difficult when you're not in this industry to know where to go and know who's like safe to yes. talk to and who's safe to explore and so I think having like I'm happy to be people's like shoe in to kind of lead you in the right direction because I know how hard it is to find supportive resources like that and like obviously I've got access to my professional network and Facebook groups and things where I can help point people in the right direction so yeah I love that. Can can you tell I'm lonely and like I've been in isolation? (laughs) You're like, please DM me. Um, I'm lonely. Yeah. (laughs) Come hang out with me, please. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and talking about your work and giving me some tips. I'm really excited to try whatever recipe you send me. Mm -hmm. And I think that loving food and eating and cooking is like a lifelong thing to grapple with for anybody who's had issues with this before. I just feel that quarantine has like worsened 
my relationship with cooking because mm-hmm. it's added a lot of pressure to it. And so yeah. that was my goal with this episode was to like see ways that we could maybe think think differently or that I could try a few approaches I could try that for me and maybe some other family members would lift a little bit of that pressure. And so I'm excited to try the things that you suggested. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. This was great. Okay. Remind people again where they can find you and we will link them again in the show notes. Yes. So you can find me primarily on Instagram. My username, Sophie will have linked in the show notes. It's Liza Kins. And then I've also got like my personal, my, my finsta, as the kids are saying, <laughs> where I'm <laughs> posting a bunch about like roller skating. And oh my like, God. More of my like day to day stuff. I did an episode so about that's... fat roller skating. So sorry. I did. Oh my God. It's, it's so much fun. <gasps> and yeah, the other good place to find me is through the London Centre for Intuitive Eating, where you can work with me one on one as a client if you'd like to, or we've got a bunch of courses and resources to help people find food freedom and you know, embark on that intuitive eating journey. So I can send you all of the links for that as well. But yeah. Thank you so much, Eliza. And we'll see you on the internet as our friends at Call Your Girlfriend would say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you on the internet. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Producing SAF in COVID times is made possible by our beloved patrons. Special thanks to Aaron Regan, Kathleen Cholette, Janelle Ainsley, Jessica Ballou, Jennifer Wiley, Lillian Fedamunti, Christina Facone, Michelle Sutton, Georgia Kaczynski, and Britt Oswald. Thank y'all so much. We could not do this without you. Last week, your call to action was to learn about housing justice and how it's part of anti-racism and Black liberation. This week, we're asking you to extend that knowledge to the hashtag NobodyIsDisposable campaign. From their site, quote, disabled people, fat people, elders, and people with AIDS or other illnesses are being specifically targeted for denial of life-saving care during care rationing. These triage policies disproportionately target people of color, poor folks, immigrants, queer and trans folks, incarcerated and homeless folks, and others already considered disposable by capitalist white supremacist society. We say no. People of color and disabled people deserve to live. Eugenics will not happen on our watch. Click the link on our show notes to find the three steps we're asking of you today. One, sign the campaign's open letter to care providers and hospitals. Two, use their provided links to contact your government officials. Three, spread the word about hashtag NobodyIsDisposable with a solidarity selfie. Find out more about that on NobodyIsDisposable.org. Let's show up, family. Look in the show notes. Bye. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan, and April K. Quio, who graduated... We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Our ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com or send us an email. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. 
Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Layla Oweda is our brand new editor. Lynn Barbera and Yelly Cruz produced this episode. Our thin crony forever is Maria Wortel. I am our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe out there. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.